Welcome to Island Watch Season 2. Each week, we explore an island by watching a TV show or a movie. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. Hi, I'm Dave Zarg. And I'm Gemma Voss. And yes, welcome to Island Watch, the podcast that transports you to islands all over the world. If you're ready for a getaway, you're in the right place. This week, we're somewhere in the Pacific, marooned on an island in the wilds. All aboard! So here we are, sailing along through the Pacific Ocean, and unusually for us, we're not exactly sure of where we're heading. That's because the show we're featuring, the Amazon series The Wilds, takes place on a desert island. That means we're not exactly sure where to head. Somewhere near Hawaii? Maybe maybe off the coast of Peru? Usually we give you the lay of the land because we know exactly where we're headed. So today, a bit of a change up. We'll talk about desert islands in general. Yeah, and when you close your eyes to picture a desert island, what do you see? There's usually maybe a couple of palm trees on a big pile of sand in the water. So usually I see more vegetation than that. And I just wondered, what's the deal with desert islands? Because they're not deserts, right? So it turns out that the word desert in desert island is like the word roast in roast beef. They're not nouns. They're archaic verb forms. If these terms were created today, today's English, we would say roasted beef and deserted island. So if you're a fellow word nerd, you can dive into the story more deeply on our website. But the short story is Desert Island doesn't have anything to do with the Sahara, the Gobi, or the Mojave. It just means no inhabitants. The Merriam-Webster website discusses Daniel Defoe's novel Robinson Crusoe. There's a chapter called Wrecked on a Desert Island. It's a location that's clearly not a desert. And since there were native inhabitants in Defoe's novel, this use of the term, as well as the very first quotation given in the Oxford English Dictionary, refers to many desert islands inhabited of wild men, which seems to show that uninhabited really meant uninhabited by Europeans. Surprise! (laughs) Okay, it seems like that time isn't quite over. Even recently, we've encountered this idea, like in the Gilligan's Island pilot that kicked off our first season. Now that we know Desert Island actually means uninhabited by anyone, why not take a look at some folks who were stranded on desert islands in real life? Right, and why not look specifically at women who survived this experience? Because in the wilds, everyone marooned on the island is a woman. I found the story of the lone woman of San Nicolas. She was also known as Juana Maria, because her original name is not known. San Nicolas is one of the Channel Islands off the coast of California. The indigenous people of the islands did not fare well after the arrival of Europeans. On San Nicolas, most of the population was massacred in 1814, and in 1835 the remaining residents were forced off the island, except one person who was missed. You know, now that I know the story, I'm like, was she missed or did she hide? Precisely. She survived on the island for 18 years until she was, quote, rescued in 1853 by an American settler named George Nadiever, and she was taken to the mainland. 
Now, she had been living in a crude hut that was built partially of whale bones, and she was dressed in a skirt made of cormorant feathers. Now, let's fast forward a bit, because the remains of the hut were found in 1939 by archaeologists. And in 2009, two wooden boxes were salvaged. They contained more than 200 artifacts, including fishing gear, tools, and soapstone ornaments. And in 2012, a cave was discovered where it looks like she also used as a shelter. Now, it looks from this evidence that she did a pretty good job of surviving on the island. So when she was found, was she really rescued? Or was she just part of that removal mission, the last step of that? Let's rewind back to 1853, when she was taken to the mainland. No one spoke her language. Even people from other indigenous communities from the other nearby islands and the nearby mainland couldn't really communicate with her. She was taken to a Catholic mission and was reported to be happy to see other people. And she would sing and dance for people. She marveled at the sight of horses. Now, she was baptized as a Catholic and given the name Juana Maria but she died of dysentery just seven weeks after arriving on the mainland. So she survived for 18 years on the island, but then brought to civilization, and she died to within two months. Now, a coda to, to this, a number of the artifacts that she, had been, that she had brought with her were deposited with the California Academy of Sciences, but they were lost in the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. And that cormorant feather skirt, it was reportedly sent to the Vatican, but it must have been lost. Also, this story inspired a novel in 1960 called Island of the Blue Dolphins. It was by Scott O'Dell, and that was made into a movie in 1964. It's an amazing story. And the, and the funny thing is, you know, to consider, she really wasn't a castaway. I mean, everyone else she knew and loved was taken. And whether she was left or whether she made the decision to stay, it's never going to, we'll never know. Okay, well, let's jump forward to September 15th, 1921, not too long ago, 100 years ago. Well, okay. A five-person expedition heads out intending to settle Wrangell Island. Wrangell Island is in the Arctic Ocean north of Siberia. Ugh, right now in the middle of winter, I don't even want to think about a place like that. They are attempting to claim the island for Canada. There's four men and one Inupiat woman named Ada Blackjack. Ada is 23 years old. She's not too excited about leaving her home in Alaska for this, especially when she finds out she's been misled. As she believed, she'd be one of many Alaskan First Nations people to join the group. She'd been hired as a cook and a seamstress, and the other four had been handpicked based on advanced knowledge in geography and science. I'm not sure why, not being an explorer of any kind, uh, not sure why they would set out to settle an Arctic island in September. And it didn't take long for things to turn bad. Rations ran out, and though the island is home to Arctic fox, polar bears, and muskox, the settlers weren't able to kill enough game to survive. So, three of the men headed across the frozen sea to Siberia, which is over 1,100 kilometers away from the island, to get help and food, and they left one sick man behind with Ada. And she took care of that man. He was sick with scurvy. She took care of him until he died in June, and the other three men were never seen again. So Ada survived alone. She did have some company. There was a cat named Vic 
who was with her, and she was rescued in August 1923. So she was out there for two years. Newspapers hailed her as a, quote, real female Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> Maybe from now on we can call other standard survivors actual Ada Blackjacks. Ada died at home age 85. It certainly speaks to her resolute nature and willingness to and determination to survive under such conditions. Another story that I found. There's a British author and adventurer named Lucy Irvine. Back in the early 1980s, she saw an ad placed by another writer named Gerald Kingsland. He was looking for, quote, a wife to live on a lonely island for a year, unquote. She'd been looking for a major personal challenge, so she answered the ad. At the time, she was 25 and Kingsland was 49. Their destination was Tuin, which is an uninhabited island in the Torres Strait between Australia and Papua New Guinea. Now, the Strait Islands were administered by the state of Queensland, so the two had to get married in order to get permission to settle on the island. So they set off to spend a year there to try to survive by gathering food on land and from the sea, though they did receive some supplies from naval personnel. But of course, things didn't go quite as planned. Their relationship was strained at times, Irvine had had an IUD implanted, which later caused her complications. Kingsland developed ulcers because he was allergic to the shark meat that they often ate. Irvine ate some beans that turned out to be poisonous. And they had a bad drought on the island that brought them to near starvation. They were nurtured back to health by Torres Strait Islanders from a neighboring island, as well as some white nurses. After a year on the island, Irvine left, as she had originally planned. She wrote a book called Castaway, which became the basis for a 1986 movie directed by Nicholas Regg, which starred Amanda Donahoe and Oliver Reed. So she wasn't really a castaway, or at least her presence as well as Kingsland on the island were more perhaps of coming from this white notion of getting away to a desert island and romanticizing the whole idea when really they were ill-prepared and didn't have the, the knowledge that they needed to survive in that kind of environment. Yeah, I guess the upshot is there's a lot of reasons people wind up alone on desert islands, including having to take the risk for work, or being privileged and relying on being rescued by other people. Popcorn is great with a show, but sometimes I want to connect my movie snacks to the film just that much more. You too? Well then, head to our website, islandwatchpodcast.com, for our picnic picks. Munchies meant exactly for the show we are watching right now. The food is either featured in the show, or it should be. Whether it's a bottle of mango pop, or a nice big piece of chocolate cake, we will hone in on just what you'll be craving when you watch the show. Come feast with us at islandwatchpodcast.com. Our transport to the islands is the Good Ship Island Watch and the TV series The Wilds. The Wilds is about a charter jet full of teenage girls on their way to a Hawaiian retreat. Somewhere in the Pacific, the plane goes down and the survivors find themselves on a desert island. Luckily, it has ample beaches and vegetation. The girls gather themselves from various levels of injury and shock and start collecting the resources they can all while feeling all the feels brought up surviving a crash in the middle of nowhere. Now that was then, but the show starts in the now, where two men, an investigator and a trauma specialist, in a room, are questioning one of the girls, Leah, about every detail she can remember. 
What have the others told you? Nothing, as of yet. You're the first one we brought in. So then you don't know what I've been through, do you? You're just assuming trauma. You're just assuming it was a living Okay, Leah, no one is assuming anything. Sorry, look, I don't... I don't mean to say that what happened wasn't traumatic. Obviously, it was traumatic. To end up where we did, in the middle of nowhere, completely cut off from the lives we left behind. That brings us to the real question, doesn't it? What was so great about the lives we left behind? The lives they left behind are revealed episode by episode in flashbacks mixed in with their life on the island. I remember the ridiculous expectations they had for us. Like, we were supposed to be these golden gods 24-7. That's Leah again reminiscing on the expectations the girls lived under in the before times. And it's interesting that in a show about a group of young women on an island, there are inevitable comparisons by reviewers, plenty of whom call the show some variant of an all-female version of Lord of the Flies. The girls themselves have a variety of expectations on how they'll survive and be rescued. Does anyone have a phone? Do you think we would have said something if we did? I'm not even sure how many bars we'd get out here. I'm just trying to think of lifelines, all right? They're going to find us, but we can't be stupid. We should make a big-ass help sign, like in that movie, 28 Days Later. What do you think happened to the flight attendant guy? We should be looking through suitcases, finding phones. You can't just listen, 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 Joe. It's the 21st century. Okay, they will find us, but in the meantime, we got to keep track of our resources. Does anyone expect a plane full of teenage girls to survive? I think... That's what makes this show so now, because we really need to look at our expectations. And those expectations might be tempered somewhat by societal assumptions and biases. Yeah. One of the shows I looked up when we were doing research for the show is a show called Naked and Afraid. Have you heard of it? Yes, I have. I haven't seen any episodes, though. Okay, well, it's easy to find on YouTube if you want to look there. I just searched Naked and Afraid Island and an episode about two people on an island in the Maldives came up. Two strangers. There's my partner. One man and one woman, both experienced survivalists, have chosen to put their skills to the ultimate test. They have no water, no food, and no clothes. Their challenge is to survive for 21 days. God, you're so screwed. Knowing that the human body can only live three days without water. We need water, fast. And begins to shut down after three weeks without food. This is the Everest of survival challenges. Can a man and woman survive alone in the wilderness, naked and afraid? This island might look like a postcard, but this is the island from hell. So the episode of Naked and Afraid takes place on a desert island in the Maldives, southwest of Sri Lanka, very near the equator. And it's it's funny how the setup between the man and woman's story is so different. Like he's this ex-military and he's built like a brick wall and she's this tiny sprite. And in the show's intro, she talks about wanting a coming of age experience. So we're set up to have certain expectations of their survival. And it's not that different from how we're set up to have expectations from the girls in the wild and their ability to survive. 
There's an added twist in the wilds because there's this mystery in the background. The head of the Dawn of Eve, which is the resort the young women are going to, Gretchen Klein, who's played by Rachel Griffiths. I love her ever since I saw Muriel's Wedding, which she, she was one of the stars of Muriel's Wedding. And she was also in Six Feet Under, which was a, a great show from HBO. Yeah, a great show. I, I thought her role in that was really good. Mm-hmm. Gretchen is anxiously and intensely in the background of much of the action. Why? What's the point of all this? It's really like there are three shows in one. The Island, the Flashbacks, and the behind-the-scenes operation of it all. <laughs> the Wilds was filmed in New Zealand. Two of the cast members, Erin James and Saren Pigeon, are from New Zealand. I think that is a cool fact, because when you're watching it, it's clear that this is a diverse group of, of women, but you don't you don't know who's from where. In terms of the actors, you don't know who's from where. And I think you'll be surprised to find out which two people are from New Zealand because their accents are not going to give it away. Among the young women, there are also two Australians in the cast, as well as a young woman who grew up at, at Six Nations in Southern Ontario. That's very cool. What else do we want to say about the wilds? The stunts are really amazing. There was no green screening. It's all just straight up filmed in the ocean and on the island, which is amazing. The show debuted on Amazon back in December, all of the episodes released at once, and it was almost immediately picked up and renewed for a second season. So there's a lot more to look forward to even after you watch the 10 episodes from season one. Mm-hmm. I wonder where they're going to film. The scenery in New Zealand where they filmed was certainly quite striking, so perhaps they'll be back there. I imagine it might only be COVID restrictions or perhaps some financial considerations that might lead them to filming elsewhere. Yeah, I hope they are able to keep it in New Zealand. Speaking of locations, I guess, you know, we looked at the writer and the producer, Sarah Stryker, how she came up with the idea itself for the show. She said, I don't know how it came to me entirely. It's one of those ideas that visits you if you keep the channel open. And so I decided to marry the idea of a teenage coming-of-age experience and a deserted island and ask the question, which is more difficult to weather? And that was the genesis of the idea. A very cool premise. It sounds when you read about it that this is a show made for teenage girls. It's a story of teenage girls, but I think there's a lot in it for everybody. I think it's quite a universal story. Certainly as a almost 60-year-old white guy, I found it quite interesting. And I think the themes are, yeah, like you said, they're universal. The emotions run high, but it's a drama. But there's also, I think this might be a good place to bring in a clip that just shows some of the humor of the show as well. Because these are knowable, relatable characters, and they can be really funny intentionally or not. Here's a clip of two of them going on a reconnaissance mission. Keep your ears peeled. You'll hear moving water before you see it. How come you know all this? This may surprise you, but I'm not just some delicate indoor princess. Hey, I go hunting with my dad all the time. So you do one hardcore thing? That doesn't mean you're not mostly an indoor princess. How many pillows do you have on your bed? I bet you've got one of those mega beds with like 50 pillows. Jermaid, Lupe. She's got to keep taking them off and putting them back on, and it's making her want to off herself. Am I right? You know I'm right. Yeah, well, I've also shot down a 10-point buck, snapped his neck to finish the job, and butchered him in the field all by myself. God built us to contain multitudes, Tony. I'm going to turn around. I have to pay. 
So one of the characters in that clip we just heard was a woman named Shelby, who is the type who is going to suggest icebreakers. (laughs) She's going to suggest icebreakers and little games to keep people's spirits up, which is either going to work or irritate absolutely everybody. We'll find out. But here's another clip of her ideas. In the interest of bringing us all together, I'd like to propose a little icebreaker. Oh, like never have I ever? Uh, that game's a little much. I know. So here's how it works. One person says something they've never done. And if you have done it, you have to drink alcohol. Uh, that game's a little intense. Like for people who don't know each other real well. So how about we just pair off, powwow with your partner for a second, and then afterwards you can introduce it to the rest of us. This white girl said powwow. So? So it's not her word. You should be triggered. Okay. I'm not, though. In the spirit of Shelby's icebreaker game, and to help you remember the characters on the island, we'd like to play a game. Yeah, we're going to introduce the characters a little bit differently because actually all the actors that play the young women in this series, some of them this is their first major role ever. They're definitely all at the beginning of their careers, just getting started with a couple of projects under their belts so far. So we thought we would introduce the characters in a slightly different way so that you could remember them a little bit better. So that icebreaker game that goes, you have to choose an adjective that goes at the beginning of your name, an adjective that describes you. And we're looking for alliterative adjectives that describe each character. I'm sure I'm not alone when I say this game, when it gets suggested, gives me an internal eye roll because... There's only so many adjectives that start with G, and they're not always appropriate. So why don't we start with Dot. Dot Campbell. How would you describe Dot? I would describe Dot as definite, because this is a young woman who has had to take care of her ill father before going on this retreat. And together they would watch a lot of survival shows like Naked and Afraid and Survivor. So I feel that she has very definite ideas of what needs to be done for them to survive on the island until they're rescued. Yeah, I'm not far off with my choice. I I chose Dependable because uh, she does seem older than her years. She's able to take care of herself and others. Then there's Fatten, who's a young student and cellist who comes from a very rich family from California. I would describe her as fascinating because I think she seems kind of superficial at first, but there's a lot more to her than that that's going to be revealed in the next coming episodes. Yeah, I chose Fabulous. She's afforded opportunities for sure a lot of the other girls on the plane have never had. She's unapologetic about who she is, and I think there's some signs in her character that she's got a real strength that people might think she's shallow, but I don't think she really is. Okay, let's look at another character. This one is played by an actress named Chi Nguyen, who actually uh, was born in Vietnam and emigrated by herself to go to high school in Australia when she was just 16 years old. I would describe her character, Jeanette, as joyful because when they are first on the charter jet, she is just this sort of like bouncing ball of joy (laughs) and in pretty stark contrast to a lot of the other characters. Similarly, I described her as jazzed Jeanette because she's particularly enthusiastic and bubbly on when they're on their way to the island. Mm-hmm. How did you describe Leah, the woman that we've met already when she's been talking with the investigators? 
I described Leah as literary Leah. She likes to read before they're stranded on the island. She's ensconced in a book that she's reading, and it seems that that's one of her main interests. See, this is where I would cheat in this game, and her last name is actually Rilke, and I would say she's romantic Rilke, because she, I think more than any of the other girls, is really in that heart world. She feels all the feels, for sure. That's that character. Martha Blackburn is a young Native woman. She's optimistic, she's an animal lover, an indigenous person from an Ojibwe nation in Minnesota. How would you describe Martha? Yeah, the limitations of this game. I have to choose an adjective that starts with M. Martha uh, is motherly in a way... I don't want that to define her, but she's more motherly than any of the other girls. She's definitely a caring person, and she's looking out for other people. Going with that same kind of quality, I described her as magnanimous because she does seem to be more concerned about others than than her than even her own situation because she does have a leg injury. I hope that's not giving away too much when, when they first arrive on the island, but she's more concerned about the plight of others. Then there's Nora, who is a twin with Rachel. And Nora... I am going to cheat a little again, and I'm going to call her enigmatic, even though that word starts with an E. The first sound in the word is N. Enigmatic Nora, because she is the quiet one, and we all know that quiet waters run deep. How about you? What did you choose for her? I described her as noetic. What? What now? I've never heard that word. A lot of people might not be familiar with this word. It means relating to mental activity or the intellect. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good. Because Nora is quite a, quite an intellectual. She's a star student, and she always seems to have lots of information or knowledge about various subjects that come up. Yeah, one of my favorites was her explanation of why there was only Coke cans washing ashore. <laughs> then her sister, Rachel. Rachel's character is the athletic one. So she's the athletic one as opposed to Nora's quiet one. And she really has a hunger to succeed in her sport. I, that's why I chose the word ravenous to describe her. And I chose the word robust because she does seem to be driven, accomplished, very focused on her future. She's a competitive diver and she seems to be very focused on that goal above everything else. Okay, there's a Texan pageant queen. Now, most of these characters don't really seem like stereotypes. They have these qualities that we can relate to, but they're definitely still complex human beings. I think the Texas pageant queen comes the closest to a stereotype, but she goes about breaking it pretty quickly. Her name's Shelby, so I choose scintillating to describe her. Scintillating means sparkling or shining brightly. And I think it's like a, there's an old English way of saying that it's a glamour, right? You see the sparkle, but you don't necessarily see what's behind it. And that's why I chose scintillating for Shelby. I chose self-assured because Shelby seems to be very secure in her values and beliefs and her confidence that the young women will come through this misadventure. And it may be with icebreakers or it may not. That's one of her wheelhouses is calling on the icebreakers. Okay, finally, there's the character named Tony Shalifo, who is played by the actress Erina James. What did you choose for Tony? 
I'd describe Tony as tangible because she's very focused in the now and the, the immediate needs, her passion and drive and sometimes rage or anger really drive her towards the practical. She is actually best friends with motherly Martha, and they're a real yin-yang kind of pair. I chose, actually, I couldn't choose. I had tenacious and I had tough, and I keep going back and forth between the two of them. I think Tony is a character who, once she matures, she is going to be absolutely formidable. Hopefully we've given you a taste of these characters and what it will be like to spend some time on the island with them. Okay, so are we like practical or fun? We'll mix it up. Practical water. Water. Fresh water. Water. A limited supply of electrolyte water. Fun games. So you don't get bored. A lighter, yes, lighter. A journal. A satellite phone, peanut butter. Some nice music. I'm gonna have to throw some food in there. A miso soup. <laughs> <laughs> my, no, no, I wouldn't do that to my cat. Um, I bring a plane, some gas, and a pilot. So that was a few of the cast members answering a question, what would you bring with you to a desert island? And even though we've done, we're close to 10 episodes, even though we've done that many episodes, we have never asked each other the question, what would you take with you to a desert island? So Dave, how about you? Well, I would bring a first aid kit. I think that's really important. And a tent for some shelter. And I would also bring a satellite phone, just in case we don't want to stay on the island for too long. Right. What would you bring? Uh, Well, I'm not a fan of the creepy crawlies. I mean, I love them living their own life, but I don't want them being on me. So I think a hammock and a mosquito net would be my top two. And then uh, a machete. And all the fresh, drinkable water that I could wrangle into a situation where you're allowed to take things to a desert island. Yeah, those would be my my main choices. Now there's another clip, and the question is, what one song would you bring? It has to be a song that I can belt to. The two songs that I always sing in the shower are Oh Darling by The Beatles and Creep by Radiohead. And... They're obviously dependent on my mood. (laughs) Mine would be Wake Me Up Before You Go Go by Wham. It might drive me crazy on that island. Well, I can say Hot Shower by Chance the Rapper. I've been playing playing that the entire time because all you want is a hot shower, bro. What song would I bring to an island? As you know, Gemma, music is very important to me. and In my life, I listen to lots of music. If I had to take one song with me only to a desert island, I would actually take... All You Need Is Love by The Beatles. you got to stay optimistic. I would play it sparingly, but I feel this song would, would give me some hope and optimism to keep moving forward. I thought you were going to choose Here Comes the Sun, but All You Need Is Love is probably even deeper. I think I would go a little nuts listening to lyrics over and over. So I'm pretty sure I would choose something classical, probably featuring a cello. 
listening to a cello is sort of like hearing another human voice, but without the locked in non-changing aspect of recorded lyrics. And then I could always compose lyrics for the song if I wanted to, and I could change them as I wanted. Good point. Also, the cast members were asked which book they would take with them. If I brought a book to the island, it'd have to be like maybe like a like a college science textbook, or like or like Aristotle's theory of metaphysics or something like something that I would never read as me. If but. she's stuck on an island, she wants to learn something. Yeah, she wants to. I want to learn <laughs> science. <laughs> How about you? What would you take? I would take The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. It's entertaining and it's full of so much wisdom. Okay, so you're going for completely non-practical, but mental health. Mental health. Focusing on maintaining my mental health. Right, because that book takes you into completely different worlds. So yeah, that's a good one. What would you take, Gemma? I think I would actually need to write the book that I want to take. I want a kind of a compendium. I want I want a book that's one part survival guide, one part like the kind of fiction that's rereadable, and a part where there's recreations of wonderful feasts people have shared. Because if all I can eat is coconuts, I'm going to need some help imagining that it's anything else. And, and one part poetry. Sounds like a great idea. You better get busy writing. I guess I better get writing. Uh Time for ratings. Here at Island Watch, we give each watch two different ratings. First, our island rating, which answers the question, how much of an island visit do we feel from this island watch? With the wilds, I think the feeling of being on an island is visceral because you really are right there experiencing all of the initial trauma that these young women are feeling, particularly in this first episode, when they first find themselves in this strange place, this strange situation. How are they going to cope with this? How are they going to manage? I would definitely give this a 5 out of 5 splashing in the surf rating. Yeah. I agree. The girls need to survive on the island. They need to make it into their home. They explore, they search for water and food, they watch the ocean, they beachcomb. So in their ranging around the island, we get to see the height and breadth and depth of it and the interior and the exterior. So I, yeah, absolutely no holds barred. Five out of five splashing in the surf rating. I think only if you were there in person could you feel more like you were on the island. Then there's our star rating. How much would we just enjoy this movie and how much would we recommend it to a friend? What was your take from that perspective, Gemma? Well, it's very watchable. It's extremely bingeable because you want to know what each character's backstory is and the backstories are revealed episode by episode. So there's lots of mystery to puzzle over as well. It's it's a really engaging show. So I give it a four out of five. And I'm almost tending to a 5 out of 5, but yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say 4 out of 5. And you? I'm going to give it 4.5 out of 5. I agree with you that it's very watchable. I find that the acting was quite compelling. I found the series really engaging. My wife and I have already watched, actually, all 10 episodes of season 1. The production was very interesting, 
and all of those cuts back and forth from the island to the interview sessions that take place to the flashbacks to before the women went on to towards the retreat all of those really draw us in and so i feel i would heartily recommend this to others to watch so therefore 4.5 out of 5 Time for Find the Island. With so many islands in the world, it's challenging to choose which to visit. With this Find the Island segment, we're learning more about islands and even discovering islands that are new to us. Maybe it'll help you choose which to visit either in person or on a future episode of Island Watch. Here's how to play. One of us gives a series of clues and the other tries to work out what island it is. Best of all, you can play along at home. Today, it's Dave's turn to highlight an island. This island is one of a group of three islands. The archipelago, but not the mystery island, is named after the Spanish explorer who first sighted the island. Okay, the Spanish explorer, so I'm thinking possibly coast of South America or... Yeah, I'm going to go with coast of South America. Well, we shall find out. <laughs> you're not even you're not even let me narrow it down. <laughs> no, let's say you're on the right track. Okay, this island is mountainous because it was formed by ancient lava flows which have built up from many volcanic events and it was formed about 4 million years ago. Okay, well, even though we did mention a volcano in our last episode, <laughs> I have not in that time, become a volcanic expert. So this, nope, gets me nowhere. A Scottish sailor was marooned here, and he lived alone on the island for more than four years. Wait, you said a Scottish sailor? Because that really narrows it, <laughs> narrows it down for me. And lived alone for four years. Four years. Now, that's not all of the clue. There's The second part of that is that one of the islands in the chain is named after him, but not the mystery island. It's one of the two other islands that is named after him. Come on, man. Okay, I think... We're going with obscure clues. Wait, wait, okay. How about it's uh, Bodie McBoatface? Good guess, but not quite. I think Bodie McBoatface is English anyway, so never mind. Let's move on. Now, that Scottish sailor, he was an inspiration for a famous fictional castaway. And the Mystery Island's current name comes from that literary figure. Well, I mean, are we going to go with Robinson Crusoe Island? <laughs> no way. No way. Congratulations. Come on. Yes, it's, it's Isla Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> it's part of the archipelago Juan Fernandez, and it's located off the coast of Chile, about 700 kilometers west of Valparaiso. And it is named after Robinson Crusoe, the protagonist of Daniel Defoe's 1719 novel. Did they just give it that name so people would want to visit there, or what? Exactly. I mean, the novel was set in the Caribbean, not in the South Pacific. But the previous name of the island was called Massa Atierra, and it was renamed by the Chilean government in 1966 to promote tourism. Yeah, okay, Massa Atierra isn't quite as catchy or memorable. The real historical castaway that I referred to was Alexander Selkirk. 
he was serving aboard a ship called Sank Ports in 1704, which stopped at the island to restock water and other supplies. Selkirk was quite concerned about the seaworthiness of the ship, and he argued with the captain about this, and he said he would rather stay on the island than continue on the voyage. So the captain marooned him there. What? Yeah, he was marooned there. Oh my god. Now, was Selkirk prescient, though, because the ship soon foundered off the coast of Colombia? By foundered, do you mean went down, or just kind of had a little dipsy-doodle? I think it had troubles. I don't know that it sank, but it had definitely had troubles. Now, for Selkirk himself, he survived on the island all alone for four years and four months. Oh my god. And in 1966, the Chilean government renamed one of the other islands, Mas Afuera, and it is now called Isla Alejandro Selkirk. So did he go there on purpose, pick an argument so that he could go back to the UK and write a book about it? I don't know that he ever did. I'm just calling back to those two that did that. Right. However, it did serve as one of the inspirations for Daniel Defoe when he came up with his novel. Now, the mystery island, Isla Robinson Crusoe, it has quite a mountainous terrain because of, it, because of its volcanic origin. The island sits in what is called the Ring of Fire, which circles the Pacific Ocean. And there was an eruption in a nearby submarine vent in 1835, which produced some explosions and flames and a small tsunami. Now, there's no evidence of any indigenous habitation on the island, so it is accepted that Juan Fernandez was the first person to land there. And these days, the island has a population of about 840 people. Lobster fishing and tourism are important parts of the economy. Uh, one popular activity is scuba diving, because there's a wreck of a German World War I cruiser nearby that attracts divers. And if you go, you're not likely to be stranded there. The island has air service, and it's about a three-hour flight to Santiago on the mainland. Well, an unidentified Pacific island and La Isla Robinson Crusoe, what a trip. We're headed back on board now and setting sail for another port. And for a change, we've got a few clues to our next destination, a sort of mini find the island. So here are your clues. This island nation has the biggest celebration of Diwali in the entire Western Hemisphere. Diwali is a Hindu festival, and the entire country gets in on the celebration. This island nation is also home to the largest carnival festival in the Caribbean. Carnival is a major annual event. Not this year, but, you know, in the best of times, and it draws in thousands of domestic and foreign tourists. Music. So much music. Steel pan drums originated here, and because of the rich mix of cultures, it's the birthplace of lots of different kinds of music. Calypso and Soca are two of the most popular. To see if you've guessed the island correctly, head to our website at islandwatchpodcast.com. Bonus, you'll also see what show we'll use to travel there. Tune in in two weeks for another great Island Watch adventure. In the meantime, tell your friends about us. Follow us on Twitter at islandwatchcast. Our email address is islandwatchpodcast at gmail.com. And visit our website at islandwatchpodcast.com for show notes and more. Fair winds and calm seas.
This has been a production of Phosphine League. Phosphine League. Phosphine League. Phosphine League. Remember this when you see the others. And you try to figure us out. There is no crazy. There's only damage. And when you go looking for what caused it, don't waste your time on that island. It'll get you nowhere.